0: This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing.
1: Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street and Fly Racing. On today's podcast, myself Steve English and Gordon Ritchie are going to be just reviewing the 2022 World Superbike season and looking forward to next season as well. Gordo It's a happy new year for me to you, but I think as well as that, it's going to be a happy new year for World Superbikes. It's looking like it's going to be a great season. I can't wait to get to the Haretz test in a few weeks and get our season underway, really.
2: Oh, yeah, man. Uh, Happy new year to you and everybody as well. Um, Yeah, it looks amazing next year. We had a fantastic year again. In 2022, and it looks to me like a lot of the rider swaps and things and changes have actually strengthened things, or certainly made it a bit more interesting. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, and we're starting early again. Eh? We're back to normal now. We're starting in the last weekend in, in February in Australia, so that's us back to some kind of normality after the last couple of years. And it's pretty soon, eh? I mean, it, it sneaks up on you. But yeah, I'm. I need to get moving now to get visas and stuff organised because over the holidays, mm, not so much done, you know.
1: I was going to say, Gordo, I'd like to know all about your Christmas, but we've got short time on the pod today and a lot of ground to cover, so we'll just go straight past all the festivities. Obviously, I want to know, what was your favourite Christmas present, though, Gordo?
2: I got a metal detector. Oh, all <laughs> <right>. <laughs> That's
1: the most Scottish thing imaginable. You're looking for money in the back garden.
2: Well, the Romans actually did get to my bit of Scotland, and there is a Roman hill fort up the top, behind my ground, so... Uh, you know I'm sure there's been a million people over it but you never know what I'd actually like to do is find a couple of tools that I've managed to lose in the garden so that would be (laughs) that would be quite handy no my wife bought me almost as a joke present uh, just because of a TV series that I like um, I watched a lot of during lockdown um and she bought me it as a kind of almost a joke. But yeah, a metal detector. I didn't see it coming, I have to say. When I saw the box, I thought, what's this? And it was a metal detect. No, it's a posh one, a basic one. But hey, I'm going to have some fun with it. I will. I definitely will.
1: Uh, I'll tell you what, I hope it was fully wrapped up and you thought you were getting like a hoover or something like that. Yeah, yeah
2: it was heavy. I thought, heavy usually means money, doesn't it? It means, you know, it's not 12 pairs of socks. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, she spent money. Where did she get the money? And then it was like, all oh, right, thanks very much. So Santa was extra good to me this year with a metal detector. Uh, you, you, if I find anything, I'll show you. I've got a feeling I'll find right. nothing.
1: <laughs> I, I have a feeling you're going to take it down to Australia as well, looking for buried treasure. But um, Gordo, obviously for the 2022 season, I want to get your thoughts on the season as a whole. What was your the big moment for the year? What's the big thing that's lasted in your memory now? We're obviously a couple of months after the end of the season now.
2: Well, in the round, even up to halfway through the season, when it was fairly obvious that the Ducati was just a lot faster than anything else with Alvaro on it, it was certainly a lot more consistent and uh, almost perfectly ridden. Uh, even up to halfway through the season, I still thought, mm, we're, it's going to be close." You know, we're going all the way here, and it ended up, even with a few dramas for Alvaro, caused usually by caused by other people. Um Yeah, it was obvious that they were the package this year So that's the thing, was the contrast between the beginning of the year When everybody was thinking, man, this is amazing It's going to go all the way And it was amazing And we had different winners in Alvaro all the way uh, towards the end But after a point, you could just see the gravity of the season changing um, And obviously Ducati winning They finally got all those pieces together They maybe had four of the five pieces they need to win the championship for years but that missing one, whatever it was, a rider one year, bike performance another year, whatever went wrong for them and went right for the rivals, it very much swung back to them this year. And you can see the whole effort was pretty impressive. Despite having Jonathan and a bike still capable of winning, and despite Toprak still being as hungry to win races, I think when you look at all those things together, those guys just made too many mistakes and Alvaro and his guys made virtually none. Therefore we ended up with the, the, the championship result um, and it doubled up for Ducati so it was a great symmetry because it was also happening for him in MotoGP as well.
1: Yeah and obviously we talked to Carlo Baldi at, at the last round of World SBK just to find his thoughts as an Italian journalist and what he was able to, to take from the season for Ducati but just to move on a little bit from that court, obviously you said Bautista was flawless all the way through. Was he your rider of the year?
2: Um, I don't think Bautista is quite, quite the same pure talent level as Jonathan or Toprak, as a pure talent. However, the job that was required of him this year, he did in spades. And he had the confidence to do it. He had the, uh, it could all have went very badly wrong for him, given that he was, he had two years on a Honda that didn't prove the way he wanted to be, and he had to go back into a factory that he left in fairly bad terms. Um, and yet he managed to hold it all together and and, and do it to the end of the season. So in a way, you can't see past anybody except Alvaro being right of the season as the package with his experience overcoming all those difficulties it could have been and he'd got knocked off had his own mistake at Donington he thought oh when he fell off at Donington maybe that's the start of something Um, no no I think he held it together so if you're talking about Ryder doing the job of the season then you probably would be Alvaro but I think the way if you just had to ask me in pure riding talent I think Toprak and Jonathan are just a little bit above Alvaro and that's no disrespect to the guy because he did whatever he needed to do, um, and obviously there's a, he's had some advantages and some disadvantages. But he—it's difficult to win championships, and he—he he was the missing link that Ducati needed to win the world championship. The opposite to what happened in nineteen, when it all just went a bit wrong for them all. They could have won that championship easily that year and didn't. So you've got to applaud the guy for coming back into the same setup. And everybody doing a better job And winning the championship He won the championship clearly You can't argue with it So yes, rider of the year And, this year, and last year, yes I think it's got to be Alvaro But as I say, there's a wee caveat there I think Toprak's just a magician And Johnny's just got something extra special as well I think Alvaro's half a percent Behind them is a pure riding talent So therefore you got to say By winning it and overcoming those talents Maybe he's he was the best rider of last year
1: Yeah, I think it was interesting all the way through the season for myself, yourself, Charlie Hiscott, whenever he's been on the pod as well. It was a big thing to talk about the fact that despite all the advantages that Bautista had, he still had to get the job done. And it wasn't taking anything away from his performance, but he had an extra couple of cards in the deck compared to his rivals, but he still had to finish the job off. And Gordo, I chatted to Serafino Foti at the final range of the year to get Ducati's thoughts about the season. But before we hear from Sarah... Just overall for you obviously we've chatted about Bautista. what about Ronaldo what about Barney what about Go 11 what about the other Ducatis? what was your thoughts
2: uh, I think Ronaldo still has to prove stuff to other people to that he's got to he's got to really advance this year because last year he he, he learned a few things about himself but last year he had a difficult period uh, and obviously when your teammates doing as well as he is and you're not it makes you look bad in inverted commas um, so he's still got a bit to prove uh, you know he, he still did very well on on balance but there, he has to get rid of all those not so good races and then he'll find himself as the, the next guy behind those three or eventually the guy challenging him um, Barney team, yeah it's been slightly difficult for them the last few years they used to be regular podium guys and just a bit more difficult last year they haven't had such great times um, yeah, the other Ducatis are obviously the rookies did well. You know, I mean, Otto had a fairly good season considering uh, everything that he had. It's Is it the bike to be on? I still maintain that when it works properly, it's a bike to be on at any track when it works properly. The trouble is that not everybody except the factory team with Alvaro is getting it to work properly every weekend.
1: Yeah, now obviously the other big rider on the Ducati, and I left him out intentionally just because I want to talk about the Rinaldi versus Bassani dynamic. Because there's going to be a big change with them now this year, whenever you put in Danilo Petrucci into the mix as well as the Barney rider. So suddenly behind Bautista, there's three riders all vying for that big factory seat. But when you look at Bassani's 2022 season what was it that stood out to you because obviously in 21 we saw some decent performances by him he was on the podium he was able to get into that lead group a few times but did you see a big step forward in 22 or was it more of the same for you
2: I didn't see a big step forward uh, obviously he's learning he's the same He ha- when you watch the reviews of the year having seen it through the year and every year I always watch the review videos when I'm writing books and so on to remind yourself literally to remind yourself of what happened um, and you can see where Bassani's losing out to, to Bautista or Jonathan or Toprack on the riding side. But remember this year there were fewer podiums available for anyone because Alvaro was back on the Ducati. So there was three top riders from three manufacturers um, taking all the podiums because that's where we are now. That's the, That's it. It's it's the way it is. Um so it's more difficult for anybody to get a podium, you have to remember that as far as is concerned. But there has to be a step change and maybe that would have come uh this year, sorry, last year or 2023 if he was on a full factory bike. Maybe not. And some people inside the paddock say to me, he's not shown enough to show that if he just jumped on the factory bike with all the factory support, he would suddenly make a leap forward to join Bautista. That's maybe why they stayed with Ronaldi.
1: Yeah, and I think um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out for next year. Obviously, we're going to talk about next year for Ducati after we hear from Serafino as well. So let's hear from Ducati's, Ducati's perspective on their 2022 season. So, oh, Sarah, was there anything that Ducati didn't win? <laughs> yeah, so it was, it
2: was
3: an amazing season, no? Because uh, after uh, many years, okay, we have uh, never give up. We have uh, worked uh, really, really hard, and finally we reach uh, our dreams, our goal, no? So this is amazing. But uh, um, without uh, these fantastic guys, okay. Uh, pff- uh, would would have uh, no possible uh, been no possible to to, to to achieve this, and uh, so I would like to to thank you to all the team, to all the engineers, to all the people involved in this uh, project uh, who work at Tom, and uh, so everyone did a really great uh, job, and we are we are uh, really really happy, and we enjoy this
1: moment. Alvaro. 2019 it went so bad so quick but this year just perfect all the way through one mistake in a race for Albro at Donington yeah but other than this to, to be
3: honest the approach of Avolo of, of this year is completely different because uh, on the beginning of this year he say every, every time okay please See race by race, race by race, race by race. Also, in the angle of the season, the same approach was not on focus on the championship. No, and uh, okay, the, the this year compared to then uh, 2019 was uh, was uh, much better regarding the consistent because it was consistent, it was unbelievable. As you say, he did only one mistake in Donington, and uh, this is make the difference, no, because he won a lot of race like in 2019, but uh, okay, it was uh, more consistent than, than uh, before okay we try to do the, the same next year because the best is uh, difficult we try to do the same uh, of course uh, now is uh disconnect a little bit uh, uh, disconnecting one week or two week. weeks then uh, uh, we need to, to, to work really hard because we have the testing generally uh, okay we need to, to continue to, to, to win also next year
1: OK, thanks for giving us the time for that as well, Serafino. And Gordo. we chatted briefly there just beforehand about that 2023 dynamic. For Ducati, Obviously, we expect Bautista's still going to be at the front of the field. Interestingly, we saw with the entry list for this season that he's going to run the number 19. Bautista, one of the most superstitious riders in the world, opting to hold on to that plate as it stands right now. And uh, no big surprise if that's the case. It's not going to be a surprise if he's going to win races next year. But what about the other Ducati riders? I think for me, that's where the big storyline is going to be. We've got Petrucci coming in for Moto America, where... To be honest, for most of the season, he disappointed in America, whereas for him, he's going to come back to Grand Prix style tracks, track that, that he knows and be back in Europe. So you'd expect to see him make a step forward his second year in a superbike. Obviously, we've got a good comparison to make with Scott Redding whenever he came in after doing a year in BSB and uh, was straight away able to win races and the world championship level?
2: Yeah, inside the factory team, we have to remember, um, no one knows until we get there exactly what is going to be running bike wise but remember, the rules are such now that you can't be so far away from the factory team. It's just not possible, um, in terms of hardware. What, what difference is the people behind you and the number of tests you do and budget and so on? That all counts, but in terms of the machinery that you should be on something pretty, as good as it can be anyway, um, and again, he's another guy who's got a lot to prove by coming back. But he's originally a super stock guy. This is his paddock. I mean, he was in MotoGP a very, very long time, and we understand that very well, but he's obviously learned a lot more there than he would have done if he stayed in Superbike. He didn't have a great time in America with all new tracks, but as you say, he's going back to familiarity here. I don't see any reason why he can't be one of the top five runners. He may not be. I'm not predicting he's going to be. But then when you look at all the things on paper, that magical thing on paper, he's in a good position. But he's also under a bit of pressure. So it might be more difficult for him than than we think. And how many times have we seen people going back and not quite working out the way they hoped to? Um, Yeah, I I think Ducati have have got numbers. They've got good riders on it. A lot of the riders will be another year older, another year more experienced. So I think Ducati as a group could be a bit closer to each other than last year because they did actually end up stretching out. And we kept talking about how fast Ducati was etc. But only one of those guys made that count every week. So the hope the other ones now, up the other ones now to, to show that they can do that as well.
1: Obviously enough, Gordon. The big chasing for next year is probably going to come from Kawasaki and Yamaha. We've got Jonathan Ray still trying to win uh, another world championship for him two years in a row without a championship success. Toprack Radsgate-Oglu trying to get back on top as well. We saw from Mizano onwards, rack was the form rider in World SBK last year. But which of, which of those do you want to talk about next?
2: Ah, I think um, because we know Johnny and the combination of Kawasaki so well, we should probably talk about Toprak, uh, because he's won and then lost and now you're thinking, well I didn't like that, you know, he'll, he'll be thinking I want to do that again um, and, he's, and and it might be his, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, this is going to be his last year for a while in Superbikes maybe he's going to get a chance at MotoGP I am not think that's guaranteed but if he has another spectacular year this year, there's no reason why he might not go over there. So he's got to make it count before he goes to MotoGP. So it, the most exciting rider to watch still, even when he's just on his own, is top Rack. So he's always going to be box office and he's always going to be interesting. And I don't see him having a, a worse season than last year. I don't see that. I think they'll come out firing uh, pretty hard from the beginning.
1: Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to see, like you said, Gordo, how that plays out for top bracket. The good thing for him is that the season starts earlier as well. If he wants to get to MotoGP, if an offer is going to come on the table, at least our season starts in February again, as opposed to starting after a MotoGP season. So teams are going to be able to keep an eye on him right from the outset, and that could play in his favour as well if he's going to get that chance but I want to hear from Paul Downing as well obviously team manager for Top Rack and also for Andrea Locatelli at the Paddy Yamaha squad to get his thoughts on how their 2022 season went Paul well, obviously last season was World Championship winning season this season's finishing second but it's hard to say that it wasn't a really strong season from Misano Womers Top Rack was able to be right there all the way through but shows you just how tough it is to keep winning
4: yeah, there's that. I mean, I think, you know, we won 13 races last year with Top Rack and 14 this year. Um, I actually haven't got in front of me whether we won more points or not, but I bet it wasn't far away. Um, but to, as it's turned out this year with Alvaro making one mistake in the whole season, which was Donington when he tucked the front and had a DNF. As a team, as a rider, you just had to be perfect everywhere. And not being perfect cost us the chance to bring the fight uh, to Phillip Island. And um, Alvaro deserves the championship. Um, you know, what he did in the Super Bowl race this weekend Sort of, was a real kind of champion's performance and wrapped up his season very nicely. And uh, the uh, bottom line is that we didn't quite have enough... In the title, but by any other measure, it was a very successful season. Um, We analysed the year from top to bottom. We need to start stronger next year, have a package that Top Rack can override, as he started to do in Mazzano, Donington, Moss, etc. Um, And maybe where particularly against Bautista, the package isn't quite there to get the job done, maybe for example Barcelona, to some extent even here at Phillip Island, we need to maximise so if the uh, best potential we could possibly achieve is P2 behind that package, if we can achieve P2 rather than P3 or P4 then we've got a chance of uh, uh, getting the job done, we also if you call a crash in a fifteenth place a DNF, then we had a we had four DNFs
1: against Alvarez too, and that didn't help our either. Obviously, the season started Aragon and Assen, which traditionally have been two top-racks tracks that he's not going to with really strong history. Philip Island, obviously, he was able to win here the last time, but this was a tough weekend from the start of the season. Probably ended up working against it just because of the the calendar, as much as anything else.
4: Maybe, but what was interesting is that the level, what needs to be acknowledged, is that the Bautista Ducati package and the level that Jonathan and Kawasaki got to this year was far, far, far higher than last year. So, with exactly the same tyres from Pirelli, and the same, exactly the same regulations, we were destroying pole position lap times, destroying... Um, uh, race distance lap times by sometimes by an average of a second a lap and that includes Aragon and Assam we were so yeah. much faster than we've ever been there before so in that single measurement you could say that was a great uh, step but the bottom line is it wasn't enough to run with those two guys.
1: Oh, it was interesting to hear from Paul Gordo, and uh, I thought that for Yamaha it was really interesting all the way through the second half of the season in particular, that a lot of the time, whenever you were talking to people within Yamaha, they were talking about Locatelli's performance more so than Rasgadiogli's. It was almost like they wanted to stress just how good of a job Locke was doing to make a step forward in his second year. He was faster everywhere they went. The potential of the bike was a lot closer to being met by him. And that's a good indication for Yamaha where that bike is because for next season with Domi Aguilar, Remy Gardner, Brad Ray and uh, Baldassari all stepping onto that uh, bike and World Championship level. It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. We've got six Yamahas out there. Obviously, we know Toprak for my money, is the best rider in the world over the last couple of years. And now it's going to be a question of for everyone else. Are they going to get on a seat beside Top, top Rack for next year? Or are they going to lead the Yamaha Superbike project if Top Rack leaves? So that's the big thing, really, in the 2022, 2023 season.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you look at last year... Locatelli's is the ultimate under the radar guy, isn't he? He's he's not fast. He's not he's not he's fast. He's not flashy. He's not outspoken. He just gets over the job. And obviously did a great job. He was a lot faster this year than he was last year, and that's what the Yamaha guys kept stressing. Toprack and Tim were both faster than last than the, the year before, but it just wasn't quite enough. So yeah, there's another step to be found for uh, Locatelli. Um, he's been a world champion. He understands his paddock now, he's had time on the Yamaha I think if he's going to ever do anything really special here it's going to be, we'll see the first signs of that next year, whereby he beats them all he's obviously maybe not going to do it every race, but the next level for him next year is to start beating all three of those guys, three, four times, that's the way riders have progressed in in the history of Superbike is that the guy who was the second rider becomes the first rider and as you say the big prize is up for grabs for any Harbour rider next year which is that seat alongside him and he's probably going to have to fight for that as well so what
1: what do you think about Bradley Ray stepping up as well? Obviously Ray's only going to do the European races next season and he's going to be with the Moto X team. They had Tambourini this year, a couple of top 10 finishes for Tambu, so it wasn't a bad season for him. That team's actually quite well regarded within the paddock. So I'm curious to see how Brad can do on that bike.
2: I think it's fantastic that we've got a British champion, a national champion, especially something like BSB, moving up to World Championship. It's the way it's supposed to be. You go from school to university, you know it's the way it's supposed to be. Eventually, that would lead to if everything was perfect, that would lead to Grand Prix racing. So there has to be that, and and I think it's the it, it, it's it's certainly going to be make it much more interesting for the British fans and anybody else who thinks that their national champion might be able to step up to it. So it's a bit. I think it's good that he's not doing a full season in a way because there's no less pressure on him because he's not trying to perform over all those races and you look at the table at the end of the year. There is no reason why if he can't suss out, all right, this is what I have to do and learn the circuits well enough and fast enough, that he can't have some great individual displays, Um, especially the more races he gets under his belt. But we need to have those guys coming. You know, it can't just be something you've never heard of that brings a budget. That's no good. You need to have quality riders as well as the, the quality rides. And I think that's a that's it's almost a perfect way of coming. I'm sure he wants to do the full season, but to do come not doing the full season and a not second level factory team is is ideal because they'll be able to flourish. And as you said, Tamburini got a few results that some people on paper said they shouldn't have had. So the bike's clearly there. The rules in Superbike are such have been made as such that if you're good enough and you've got a decent team and you're riding the wheels off it, you will get good results.
1: Well, let's look at it then, Gordo, as well. If you're good enough, if the team have the resources, good people around you, I think that kind of brings us nicely to the GRT squad because they've got Tommy Aguilar stepping up after a double world championship success in the Supersport class. Remy Gardner is a former Moto2 world champion. He's going to be on the second bike. They did have a test at Areth basically every single day was washed out so we didn't yeah. really get much dry weather running for them but it is going to be one of the big storylines to keep an eye on what happens in GRT because Gardner's going to be one of the most interesting stories all the way through this season kicks off his superbike career at home in Phillip Island that's going to be a massive story
2: yeah I mean it's it's made for the it's made for the the record books that one let's hope it, something happens in Australia um, but when you look at Gardner, as you say, look at his background, what he's done, and he's ridden MotoGP. You know, he's had that big, big bike experience. There's no reason he can't come and and, and kick butt from a very early stage. I I don't see why not. And I think Agatha may be an even bigger surprise because he's done a lot of superbike riding. He's done Suzuki 8 and had success. He's tested superbikes for people. He's not just a supersport rider that's moving up or a Moto2 to supersport to move up. There's more to the guy than that. And he's got time running out. So he's going to have to stamp himself hard. We know what those GRT bikes can do. We know how close that is to the factory team in terms of the... Four rider development and everything else that could be a return to their regular podium and of years past.
1: Just looking at it as well, Gordo baldassari stepping up with GMT 94. So that's a team with a lot of superbike experience in the endurance world championship. But the superbike world championship is a very different animal for them as well. And obviously, in the super sport class over the last few years, it's been a team that's underperformed they haven't been able to get the same results out of their package as other Yamaha teams whether that's the Evan Brothers team or Tenkadi in particular over the last few years so to look after a superbike is going to be a massive project for them but it does look like Yamaha is going to be taking on more of a role within each of the superbike teams again it's almost like what they've done for GRT over the last few years should happen with the likes of Moto X and also GMT
2: well the, says, what you say has got a lot of truth to it. Um, but what they realized when they wanted to go super bike is they realized that they needed to have all that kit from Yamaha and just say, okay, guys, run it like this. Can we have electronics help? Yes. Can we have help with the, the service? They're not going to be doing as much of their engine stuff as they have in the past. So that, is the way that teams like GRT are doing it now. They're, they're, they're feeding back into the overall uh, development and they're getting the benefit of it by having better bikes, closer bikes to the factory bikes than we've ever had maybe truly in in the whole history of Superbike. There's always been a gap. There's always a, a time lag for certain things, but they didn't want to come and superbike unless they got that support. So they understood what needed to happen. You know, they, they from inside the team they said, "Look, we can't do this on our own. We're going to need a lot of help from Yamaha with the bikes and the and the, and what to, how to set them up and all that." So they could start pretty fast. But again, they've got a, a first-time superbike guy. So you know, well that might be a work in progress for a while. But when you look at all the things they've got together, another very strong team. Why not team? I don't mean winning a championship, but why not one of the top privateers? Why not?
1: Well, we've got six Yamahas on the grid next year, effectively full-time. Obviously, we've mentioned Brad Ray is going to be missing for three rounds next year, but there are six riders that we'll look at for Yamaha performances next year. Top Rack, we'll take for granted, is going to be the top Yamaha rider, all things considered equal. But who's going to be the second Yamaha rider, Gordo?
5: Um...
2: If you look at the way things have been then you've still got to look at Locatelli, who, as I say, has got Andrew Pitt as his crew chief, another year of experience, things pushing him on, he knows he's got to perform again, he needs to lift it. But, look at the wild cards, if you like, that we've already spoken about. So why not? It could be, why not Remy Gardner? And, you know, why not Agatha? Why not?
1: I love the fact, Gordo, that we're obviously we're a few weeks away from the next test, which is going to be the first dry weather running that we see for Aguilar and Gardner and uh, Balda as well. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out, because we're go- looking at it right now. You could make a case for any of the five, really. Not so much yes. Bradley Ray, because he's are going to miss three rounds, but average scores from around. You could make a case for Ray as well. But it's going to be really key to see who can hit the ground running in Phillip Island and get themselves ready for it. So I think Yamaha has going to be a, a storyline and a subplot that's going to be worth keeping an eye on all the way through the season. Obviously, we mentioned that it was going to be between Yamaha and Kawasaki and all likely to be the challenger once again in 2023. Quick thoughts about Kawasaki last year as well, Gordon. What did you think of the performances of the Green Machines? Obviously, it, it wasn't what we'd seen in the past from Ray. There's been a big wind right for him. It's been a tough, tough year for Jonathan Ray, really. And obviously, then you look at the other Kawasaki's out there. Alex Lowe's had some really good performances, was much more consistent last year. And then behind that, it's a good thing probably for the Pichetti team. For instance, Tom Sykes can come in. Luca Maas had done a, a good job over a couple of years. But now you bring in Tom, a former world champion, and you know Tom whenever he left there was the big crash in Catalonia we didn't see the end of that season for him but that season he'd actually been doing quite well on the BMW a year in BSB a year of disappointing results in BSB a bit like Petrucci as well underperformed in the domestic championship but now comes back to what he knows it's last chance saloon for Tom but he's going to be back on a super right grid
2: well I think we all know what we could get from Tom which is obviously brilliant practice performances if he can give Tom tyres for all 20 odd laps then there's no reason why he won't be there. Except for the fact that the Kawasaki is quite long in the tooth now. Um, It's obviously a versatile enough bike for Alex to show what he did last year when he was fit. And he had a much more consistent year. He wasn't perfect. He still had some illness and stuff. Um, But the Kawasaki is a very, very well-rounded, very good package. But it has reached some kind of limit. But it also reached some kind of limit in 19 when for the first few races it got absolutely mullered, even with Jonathan on it, by Ducati and Bautista. So they actually got less mullered this year than they did the in 19 with the bike three years older. So they're still finding things, they're still moving on. There seem to be a lot more chopping and changing setup, Not willy-nilly but I think they had to Bring maybe different setups round by round or condition by condition that in the past they didn't have to, to try and stay competitive and you can see, Argentina for example in a race that Johnny looked as if he was going to win, one mistake and that was it and he couldn't get back into contention again, so yes it's it's much more tricky and Johnny if Johnny had sharper tools, he'd be doing a better job because we know that, but. Alex did OK this year, you know, pretty well this year, relatively speaking. Got some podiums again in a year when it was very, very difficult to get podiums. So I think there's still life in the, uh, how can I say, I don't want to use that word. Um, it's still a very, very good bike uh, when it's run by the right people. When it's run by the right people, a privateer, Kawasaki's hard work.
1: I'll tell you what, let's hear from Gimroda to see what his thoughts on the 2022 campaign were. You go testing in Jerez, and obviously January, and then we're back here in February. Is there a big step can be made, or is it just fine-tuning for you again?
6: Uh, Well, there's many small items to test. I don't know how much uh, we will be able to make big, big steps, but uh, for sure some some details to polish and some areas to work on, and and let's see how much we can really improve the package in just three months.
1: Okay. That's great. Thanks, Kim. Thanks a lot. Cheers for that, Gordo, just before we heard from Gim Roda there, you mentioned about it's hard work if you're a privateer with a Kawasaki. Yeah. And that being borne out by the fact that for the 2023 season, there's only four Kawasaki's on the grid. There's yeah. Oliver Koenig on the back of the field with the Arlac bike. You'll have Tom Sykes somewhere in the, the mid-pack. You'd imagine Tom 7th seventh to, seventh to 12th a lot of the time. And then some performances where he's really able to elevate himself, get in the podium fight. But for Kawasaki, it is going to be tough and I think that's borne out by the fact that I remember whenever I first came to Superbikes there was a lot of Kawasaki's on the grid and that's because at that time it was the most most rounded package. It could work in lots of different conditions. It didn't really have a weakness. Now you have it where there's a lot more Yamaha's on the grid, there's a lot more Ducati's on the grid and uh, less Kawasaki's and uh, I think that's a good indication of where that bike is and it's also an indication across the board. You look in the British Championship, the... Moto America Championship, endurance racing, the Kawasaki is a good bike, but not quite where it needs to be.
2: Yeah, I, I think that the reduction in the number of Kawasaki's this year is maybe not a any kind of problem. Um, I think that you've got Tom back on the bike. If he has a, able to regain the quality he had and the height of his powers when he was in Superbike, that's a stronger to me that's always going to be a stronger bet than, than Mahias was and Mahias was a world super sport champion. Um, so you're looking at three Kawasaki's plus all of us still learning. Connie's still learning. He's still a kid last year. was His first year he was 19 last year I think uh, racing that bike. So there's really three potentially competitive Kawasaki's. I don't see any reason why Ray and Loz would be stuck firmly in the top five every race and I don't see any reason why on his day Tom can't join them. So we're looking at there may only be three to four Kawasaki's, but if they it's still a good bike. Um if other people are one percent off, the the those guys will take them.
1: Gordo, I'm gonna do a little countdown, three, two, one, on this, and we're both gonna answer at the same time. Will Tom Sykes have a pole position at Donington Park this year? So three, two, one, yes Yes. No. <laughs> yes oh, there, there you go Gordon There you go Why not But uh, it's going to be Really interesting To see how that plays out Because when When Tom was last year He had sort of Lost that era That that aura Of being The Super Bowl King Jonathan Ray Had already kind of Taken it on As his mantle And now we get to see If Tom can Try and make that step again Obviously in a single lap pace He's still Tom Sykes
2: He could do it on a BMW There's no reason Why he can't do it If he goes back To a happy place And he's Kawasaki you know
1: I'll tell you what I'll tell you what Gordo Gandhi's in Castle Donington (laughs) I'll put the dinner on it the Saturday night dinner I don't think Tom's going to have that pole position
2: well I mean uh, yeah I think not know I was betting on it oh my god Um, no I don't I don't see any reason why not what was the only round this year in BSB that Tom had winning results That was Donington. He's got this bizarre special connection with Donington where he, where he could probably win on a unicycle or a motor. You know, it, it's it's the one place I would say that he's, he's not guaranteed to get a pole, but I wouldn't bet against him taking pole at Donington.
1: I'll I tell you what, Gordo, I'm, I'm only covering a main course. I'm not doing the starters. I'm not doing the beer. You know, ah. it's just the main course. So nice chicken tikka for you or something like that. And uh, that that's what I, I think... That's what I'm willing to put in the line for, it, you know, a whole yeah, main course. That's
2: fine. Don't no, bit uh, said, it's in public. Can't, I can't back out of it now.
1: Obviously enough, Gordo, we've got a lot of ground still to cover on the show. So when we come back after the break, we're going to talk about BMW and Honda, two manufacturers that made some pretty decent steps forward at times this year, but were still inconsistent. And then we'll look forward to their next campaigns as well. And then we're going to have a quick look at Supersport and 300s as well, just because their entry lists have just come out for the
0: next season. Renthal Street ultralight rear sprockets are CNC machined from an advanced aluminum keeping rotating unsprung mass to a minimum. The integral hard anodized finish has a higher resistance to mechanical wear which increases its longevity. Available for a huge range of motorcycles with options for a number of teeth and chain pitch. Use the Fit My Bike tool on renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 Glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 Glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more.
1: Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street and Fly Racing. Gordo, we've looked at the front of the field... Are we going to have a big upset next year and Honda and BMW really put their act together or get their act together and get the most out of their packages and they're able to fight for podiums and race wins next year?
2: Um, Yes. I mean, we had them there or thereabouts this year, but as I say, everything went, it took a big jump in 2022. So the target they had from 21 to 22 was taken further away from them. They should, BMW have got a lot of revisions on the bike. The Honda has had and will have a whole winter to try out all the greater freedoms they've got for their chassis. They needed to change their chassis and they did stuff at the end of last year, the usual Honda being Honda, you don't know exactly what they did, Um, but they were allowed to. It was significant last year that they had to bring in special rules two or three rounds before the end to let them do it this year as a preparation to see if the whole system was going to work out okay. So the it depends what they bring next year, what they're allowed to bring next year, what 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 changes and differences in the rules are going to have. But I think the potential for power in a Honda is massive and the BMW is not slow. All they need to do is get the bikes more rideable over 22 laps and take away the bad habits because they are so close to being there.
1: Because I think for me, Gordo, if I was laying everything out on the table... I'd be saying the Ducati is obviously the most attractive seat to have. That Honda, though, is a seat that if I was a riders manager, I'd be pushing my guys to get onto because the resources are going into that project. It's not a million miles off already. And that was with two rookies on the bike this year in uh, Iker Lekwona and Javi So I think that bike has so much potential to make that step. And it's not a big step it has to make anymore. And that's the biggest thing. Because Lekwona, for most of the season, was a top 10 runner. And that's very close to where you need to be. There's not a massive margin between 4th and 10th in World Superbikes at the minute. We've seen the top three have been the top three at almost every round this year. So I think it's definitely one of those situations that in that second group, if you make a small bit of progress, the Honda can be right there. I think Iker Lekowna has set up really well for a big season this year. Obviously, we didn't see him in Phillip Island at the last races of the year. After he was injured in Indonesia, we saw that Nagashima came in and actually did a really good job coming in out of the cold, just to be able to have some decent decent performances running inside the top 10 spots at different times over the course of the weekend. And that, for me, was the biggest indication of what that package can do because straight away he was on the same pace as Xavier Vieira or even faster than him. And I think that gives you a good indication that the Honda has three riders that can all get decent performance out of it. So it is a a much more rounded package than it's been for a long time. And now it's up to them to really kick on.
2: There's one problem with the Honda that's been consistent. And this is what they've asked for those changes to be brought in to allow them to make it, which is more rideable. From a chassis point of view, the engine, they went a mega power engine, Grand Prix style engine, very, very short intakes, etc. Lots of little MotoGP touches inside the the engine. So there's no problem there. It's across the frame four. Okay, some people say that's not the ideal way to go about it in World Superbike. But other people are winning with it. But they've gone for a conventional screamer engine with lots and lots of MotoGP tech. The problem they had is all chassis and all, all that happens in every Honda rider that's been on it said, you get to the limit, the limit, the limit and crash. So You don't know where the limit is. What they're doing now, and they, but now they know why. They've done so much work into it. They know what they need to do, pushing the front end forward a bit and being able to go down a bit on the back end. They know what the limitations of the original road bike were and they've now got the dispensation to Maximize, get will minimize that problem and therefore maximize the bike's rideability on the edge that those guys can get to. That your average mortal can only dream about if they can do that, then they can use all the performance, and there's no reason why they're not top three.
1: We had a pole position for Honda in Catalonia, we had a podium for Lequona as well in Assen, and also through the course of the season, we had uh, from Scott Redding a run of three rounds in a row, four rounds where. BMW made a lot of progress as well. So we're going to hear from Leon Camier for Honda's perspective. We're going to hear from Sean Muir about BMW's perspective. And ever when we come back, We'll talk a lot more about BMW and a quick just round up on Honda as well and their prospects for the coming season. Leo, obviously, second season for you in the role, but uh, this year, loads of progress being made by Honda. Much more competitive. You might have finished fifth in the manufacturer's standings, but you look at it, and on the basis of the, the season, load of progress. Iker comes in as a rookie, has a podium. Javi's able to finish top ten standings as well.
5: Yeah, it's been... Uh... Definitely, definitely a lot of progress, you know, with two rookies this was something, you know, we were confident that they could come in and perform well, but also the base of our package become a lot more stable this year, I would say. Um, there was quite a few changes, as we know anyway, from like suspension and brakes and these things, which was, you know, quite a few unknowns, but our uh, idea was to do it now and to try and progress and develop everything for, you know, for future, future profits, let's say, and... In general I think the year's gone very well. I think you know we were really fast many times with with both riders. You know many top 6s and you know a podium okay was a little bit little bit gifted but it is what it is we had to be there to, to fight for it anyway. So in general I think it's been a good year and I think uh, we're quite confident that the future will keep progressing. It will take time for sure it's not uh, something that you know we turn around in one day and Japan are working hard but you know for sure it's not you know they're not super fast to make changes always and when they do they want to make sure it's the right way it's a bit of a you know a philosophy from them so let's say so I think that we'll we'll keep making progress, and yeah, well, I think we will arrive at some point with a with a package that we can consistently be competitive and
1: go from there. Obviously, for HRC, when you look at how the three years have gone, it was almost. Uh, underestimate how tough it was going to be in World SBK just because you were so limited in what you could do to the bike. Now the super concessions come in, that's obviously going to help you. Is the bike is a good base and then it just needs that small step. Is that how you feel as well? Yeah, correct. Yeah, it's exactly that.
5: The um, the super concession thing is, it's a slow burner. It's like it, it's not that you get one thing and you know, all of a sudden you're going to be straight away competitive. There's so many moving parts to, to a team. So many moving parts and it, everything You know, these teams have been in this paddock for 15, 20 years, and it it takes time for you as a team to get there. We're the third year as a team. Uh, so there's many little parts that we need to keep improving within the team um, and on the bike as well. It's a new bike. Japan first year with COVID, nothing was really done. Uh, last year and this year, there's been good progress. Um, but obviously the hard part's the last part and that's where, where we're at now. One of the big things we're hearing around the
1: paddock is next year, MIE are going to be able to make a big step and probably use bikes user finishing this year with. That's obviously going to be something that's going to give you an awful lot more data, an awful lot more info and help drive the project forward if that's the case.
5: Yeah, if, uh, I mean, I'm you know not involved in that team, let's say. So, you know, I understand more or less what's happening for next year. But of course, you know, the, the more competitive they are, um, it's going to help us as well for sure. But well, as you said, exactly as you said. But yeah, for us as HRC, we have to just keep working on our own own project, let's say, and focus on our own uh, our own issues and things that we know we can improve, and that's the goal. I think it's important to have a little bit of time off over Christmas to reflect, and I think we already understand quite a few things where we need to go, which is important, but we will be a lot of discussions and meetings over the winter to, you know, short winter break to see how we can, as a team, improve.
1: It looks like it's been a year where he's bit made a good step forward, Sean. So it must be where, obviously for BMW, you're always looking for a bit more, but one round two rounds three rounds it seems that there's been pretty solid strength especially that mid-season point when scott was getting podiums and
6: in the battle yeah i mean when we look at the where we started with scott we um we had a really really tough pre-season testing um scott found it really difficult um we got to aragon and he was really lost didn't have michael Um stood in for mikey so we, we completely lost that reference point and obviously Loris was new to the Bonovo team as well so we didn't have a reference on that side only Eugene as well so from um, the whole group both Bonovo and, and the main team we were, all, we were all struggling really to find our level um, as soon as Michael got back Lisbon effectively Estoril um, injured again and it took really Scott probably four races to get um, to get any real feeling um, he had an OK Assen and then kind of moving forward from Assen it started to come to him a little bit. But um, he definitely needs time on the bike um, and more testing. But we, we, we kind of came a little bit uh, caught in trying to get Scott comfortable instead of actually developing the bike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I
1: think that was kind of one of the
6: areas where we, where, where we would have done things slightly differently.
1: Obviously one of the big things for the winter and going into next year is Super Concessions. and looks like Honda are making bigger changes than BMW. <coughs> Is there a reason behind that or is it where you feel that it's mostly just about getting everyone to to get to a certain level right now yeah i mean the new
6: when, when the when the updated bike comes out um it's got some ergonomic changes to that the chassis should be better for us yeah. um, the engine characteristics better for us and um, the gearbox will be better for us we'll have a an evolution of the the CalEx swing which is well publicized that we got in the middle of the year um i think that made that made small differences but not main, the main differences. I think that the main differences for us was that Scott settled down. Um, um, Scott settled down, Laurie started to find some pace as well but um, it was clear to us that we just needed more, more time, more laps under our belt so we, we went into that mid-summer period of uh, three podiums in three races and we, we felt we had some momentum, we had a little bit of a summer break um, but we, we that kind of kick uh, and it took us we haven't really recovered from that um, so it was a bit bit disappointing really so coming out that three podium event, uh, three podiums on the spin um, and the steps that we'd made in terms of the um, I like to call it balancing of the chassis really with the you know proper base setting that Scott could refer back to uh, the Calix swing and the new link that we had really gave us a completely new base setting that we could move forward with and that's effectively kind of what we did in the middle of the season but we just didn't manage to kick off from there and quite a few others have done that and that's where we've lost momentum.
1: Obviously when you brought in the swing arm that was what got all the attention hmm. but at the same time you changed handlebars, foot pegs loads of stuff to make Scott yeah. more comfortable. Yeah. Do you think it's easy for everyone to look for a magic bullet rather than it's about improving everything? Absolutely, because I
6: mean, for us especially... If Scott had jumped off a four-cylinder bike, similarly like the Honda, it would have been a different story. You know, He came off the v, uh, the Ducati V4 bike that he'd ridden in BSB and, and, and in World Superbike, and his, his feel for that, a very high revvy, screamy engine, was really difficult for him to, to kind of get to grips with early on, um, and adjusting his start to that was quite difficult. Um, you know, one of the big things that we, we have worked on between last year and this year was getting uh, race consistency out, out of a tyre, uh, and that's something we definitely have improved upon. Um, except we just haven't really had those results to show for it, but we certainly haven't been sliding down the grid kind of two thirds race distance, which we were doing frequently in the past. So, to answer your question, you know, it's, it, it, there isn't there isn't one one, t- one ticket item that's going to give us that success we're looking for. It, it is that consistency of all those parts the engine, the electronics, and the chassis. And that's where I feel going into winter we'll be able to consolidate a little bit more, but it needs it needs to fit Michael and needs Scott got to be really on his game to, to take us forward what about with the Novo as well then obviously Gerloft comes in it's going to be four riders that are going to be should be competitive yeah I'm looking forward to that I'm, you know I think I think Garrett will Gerald brings something completely new to the team I think it's no I think Eugene's done a good job um he's going to move into that role it's been well publicized I think if we can um if we can kind of get Michael fit and Garrett also kind of acclimatised really quick he's got a good troop chief coming with him in, uh, in Les. they've worked together in the past I think that'll be a, I think that'll be a really strong really strong pairing um, I'm, I'm expecting some good things from Garrett and I think that, that's going to speed up the whole process for us so you know I, I, no one more than me would like to see one of the BMW riders regularly punching podiums because he gives a target for the rest of us and I don't really care who it is to be honest with you I mean that's generally where I fail because um, at the moment all four of our guys are roughly in the same position so they've all got the same problem and that's um, that's difficult for us to kind of get our head around at the moment but um, like I said there's, there's some depth and quality in, in all four riders in the BMW crew for, for next year and I expect to see some good results and... Um, you know, uh, Garrett started our preseason testing in December. I've got my eye and we won't be at that second test, but I've got my eye on it. So I'm really keen to see how
1: we how we can uh, get the grips with the bike quickly. Right, well, cheers, mate. Always interesting to hear from Leon Camier in particular, Gordo, because he's an ex-rider, tons of experience and knows the things that need to be done with a lot of situations as a rider to be able to find some progress sean muir he's been able to make a fair bit of progress for bmw himself and uh the bmw technical team to be able to try and right some of the wrongs that there's been in that project over the last few years and i think it's always good whenever you hear the perspective of honda and bmw because they're both trying to do something similar to each other we saw at the end of the season for Honda they lost Lekwona with injury it was almost the exact opposite for BMW they lost Michael Vandermark very early in the campaign because of injury and Vandermark had a torrid time all the way through the campaign but for BMW next year they've got Garrett Gerloff coming into the fold they've got four really fast riders Loris Basby the fourth rider next year so that project has at least the riders all sorted and now it's up to them to bring the technical side forward just to make it where they can really find that competitive point Honda are making that progress technically. There is a bit of a question mark over the riders for Honda going forward. Is the likes of Vieira in particular, is he going to be able to make a step forward in year two to really be able to try and drive himself to the forefront in the Superbike class? Probably a little bit more than, than he did in the Moto2 class. He was an inconsistent rider in Grand Prix, but he did a good job last year. Now it's up to him to really make that stand and make the progress to show that he's learned how to be a big bike rider and he's able to get the most out of that package. But it's interesting to see that for Honda and for BMW, they're both trying to get to the promised land, but they've gone about it in slightly different ways to each other.
2: Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, I think they've, they've both got limitations on chassis, but they need to make the bikes more consistent with different different issues. Um yeah, it's, it, it's you would, I would always still say that it, they need to have an experienced superbike guy going onto that bike, or a top level MotoGP guy who just can't get a ride anymore, going onto the bike to see where it can really go, because we're still not a hundred percent sure about Lekona and Verhe both very good riders, and Lekona, as you say, had has already made some kind of top of ech- echelon results. Because of other things, but also you have to be there to do it. You have to be in position to do it. So, in some ways, they almost exceeded some expectations from some cynical people in the paddock, um, who thought they would getting nothing this year at all. Not a podium, not a, a pole position. Um, if if genu- there are really one problem with that Honda, and that's what they're telling us, it's not what we're telling them, it's what they're saying to us. They needed to get this chassis geometry sorted out. Then those guys will be able to go fast, but I think... It could be another year before, and another rider before they really maximise that project.
1: Yeah, I'm really curious, Gordo, who in Honda's telling you anything? They don't tell any of us anything.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well finally they managed to, because of the rule changes, tell us uh, some fairly fundamental. Honda, I mean, just explain to people, Honda keep everything so close to the chest it's unbelievable they they would quite happily not have a single person speak to them all weekend um, it's amazing that they've always been a bit like that Grand Prix and anywhere else um, and I think if things had went a lot better a lot sooner they'd be a lot more open but to the great credit, and it is a great credit, they were much more open about what they needed to do and what they wanted to do at the end of last year. That is what's required, because if you don't tell people what's happening, they will make things up. And, you know, the things that we thought might be wrong with the bike and stuff, some of that was right, some a lot of it was wrong, according to Honda, but, but they weren't correcting us. They weren't saying we had this and this problem, we need to fix it. We had to sort of look at it, talk to other engineers and say, what do you think wrong with a Honda? Because they wouldn't tell us. Now they're telling us what they think is, where it needs to improve and they seem to have made some improvements already.
1: I think one of the biggest things to follow this year is going to be what happens with the MIE Honda team as well because yeah. from... The Monday after Philip Island, they were being given the bikes that Honda finished the season with. And that's going to be what they're going to use as their material going forward. That's going to be massive for them. And Gordo, that actually kind of brings us into our final couple of topics to talk about. The Super Sport Class entry list came out. You've got uh, a Scotsman to cheer on. Uh, well, a couple of Scotsmen to cheer on in that class. Taz McKenzie and uh, John McPhee on, on a Honda and a Kawasaki but, uh, or respectively. But uh, for uh, Taz Mac in particular, back on a super sport bike. And this is one of those moves that everyone saw. And questioned. We talked about it a little bit actually in Phillip Island that that's what we thought was going to happen. And it has transpired that way. And for Tazmac, it's an opportunity to go to the world stage and not really have that much pressure on his shoulders because you're on the Honda bike that even though it's a new bike for the class or newly homologated bike for the class it's still the same basic CBR 600 that it has been for a long time. So he's just able to learn how to be a world championship rider again. Obviously, he's got Moto2 world championship experience two thirds of a season from a few years ago. But this is a real opportunity for Taz to get himself somewhere on a super bike for the following season.
2: Well, Taz first bike, second. This is a perfect opportunity for Taz because if he went in on a superbike, um it would be more difficult in my opinion it would be more difficult he's got a lot of the tracks he'll have known from his his, motor 2 time but it would be more difficult I said to his dad a couple of three years ago without telling tales out of school one of the super wide open absolutely wide open You've seen the riders coming in and winning championships straight away. I said, World Superbike is wide open to make a, a reputation inside the, the overall Superbike paddock. And I think that's the case now. Honda doesn't matter. That Remember that we've... So, Taz, Taz could do anything this year, from really good to the opposite. And he needs to get his head around the fact that he's on a, a 600 again and, and, and ride that bike properly. The fact is that Honda doesn't matter to me because... What have they done in Super Sport, and they did it really successfully this year, is create a level playing field, more or less, for everybody. So if that Honda needs more of this, it will be allowed to have more of that, as long as the people in charge are consistent in doing that. So I w- anybody who's thinking it won't happen because it's a Honda is—that's not by any means necessarily the case. And some people in some territories are still racing them, so it's not like the thing's gone away.
1: Yeah, and I think it's always worth remembering just how good Taz was as a super sport rider. He won two British championships. Would have won three if he hadn't moved on to the Moto2 bike. He was sensational on a British super sport bike. Expect to see some really strong performance from him. And I'd expect it right from the first round in Phillip Island. It's a track that's going to keep all the bikes close together. It's going to be down to your race craft, down to your experience. And as long as Taz is fully fit, he's got all the talent in the world to be able to make that work. I'm curious to hear what Gordon Ritchie has to say about John McPhee, though. We've got John stepping up from a Moto3 bike, eventually moving on to a bigger bike. He had aspirations of being on a Moto2 bike over the last few years. didn't work out. Now he's on a Supersport bike. Probably not the Supersport bike... That most people would have expected or wanted him to jump onto the kawasaki with the it's the vince 64 team effectively um similar to what you get from the moto Zoo team with pachetti preparing the bikes and then a team to run them so for mcfee though this is a chance for him and it's up to him to prove that he's able to make that transition at a much later stage of his career than most riders do from the small bikes to the intermediate class?
2: Well, this is quite a complicated one, so I'll keep it short. He's going to change paddocks completely. He's going to change tyres. He's going to change the, the... He's going to pick a big step up in the, the weight of the bike and, and many other things. Um, he's going to not be on a factory bike. It's not like he's going into the, like the Evan Bross thing or, or even as a lead rider in a, uh, the Triumph team. There's a lot of... There's a lot of things that John's going to have to get his head round very quickly, but when you've won Grand Prix in more 3, moving to Mo 2 should not be any kind of leap up. It's just how well he does going sideways. Now, it's it is it's very complicated, so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of hang it there, but I think he's got a lot of things to deal with, but I don't think he's got so many challenges to overcome, he just has to come with the right attitude and the right we know he's got the talent Um, he just has to get used to what's under him and I'm sure his speed will be there, the team yeah, but the Kawasaki is still competitive because they're allowing people to have more that don't have enough and they're bringing people like the Ducati, they brought it way back from the potential power and and revs they could have had at the beginning of the year so the whole point of balancing you know, it, it just depends on the quality of people around them and how John adapts to it. That's it
1: just looking at the rest of the grid as well Gordo we've got Jorge Navarro coming across from Moto2 hopefully by the time we're underway in Phillip Island he's back to full fitness after his crash in Australia last year in the Moto2 class he's going to be joined by Stefano Manzi one of the big expectations was Bradley Smith might have been in line for that seat but when you've got the opportunity but Manzi on the bike a race winner in the class lots of podiums on the Triumph it makes a lot of sense for Tenkade there's also the Yamaha Thailand team as well and that's actually going to be run in conjunction with Tenkade as well a lot of Tenkade and engineers and support staff going to work with the Thai squad as well to be able to get them up to speed then when you look at the rest of the grid the Evan Brothers team huge amount of success in recent years say over the last five years but they're going to have Andrea Montevani on the bike next year a rider that probably isn't at the same level of some of the guys that they've had in recent years when you look a little bit further down the expected at the expected grid there's two Super Sport 300 riders. I'm very interested to see how they step up. Champion last year was Alvaro Diaz. He's moving up with the Arco squad. They're going to be supported by the YART Yamaha squad. So, um, the world endurance team, they're going to be doing the European rounds with um, Diaz and also YART as their full. Full team are going to be with Tom Edwards for all the European rounds. That's going to be good. You also have Yuta Okaya stepping up, but Okaya he's still recovering from injuries as well after a season-ending crash in Magni last year. So the 300 riders we saw last year whereas Tom Buthemus at the end of the year did very good did a very good job in Indonesia I think it was for Tom and then also Bat and last year very impressive on the MV he's going to be joined for the full season by Marcel Schroder we saw Schroder in Australia last year as well so when you look at SuperSport Gordo as a whole suddenly that championship just like last year all the races were really good last year that championship now looks like a real gatekeeper for a lot of riders to get good rides in the superbike class. We've seen it with lots of guys stepping up. So everyone suddenly becomes very interested to go to the Supersport World Championship.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been saying that to people for years. Is that's the place to go. Because, OK, we've had a two or three or four dominant riders last time. But underneath that, people still look to super sport if someone put in the performances to justify being looked at in that class. And that's what I was talking about earlier, about it being wide open. Well, this year, an awful lot of... Good rides, good enough rides. I've been, I've got good names next to them, and that's just about we you, you went through how many names there just talking about new guys or change guys. Look at the existing yeah. guys, so it's also got it's just going to be. I mean, we're back to the people talking about the golden era and all that. This is a golden era when you look at it on paper. This is a golden 100%, era,
1: hundred percent, Gordo
2: 100%. on paper. On paper, this is a golden era. Why not? I mean, uh, what can I are? tell
1: you some of the names that we left out there, Gordo, just because they're already in the class? And we know Caracasulo is going to be strong because he did a really good job last year on the Altea bike, particularly in the second half of the season. We saw Rafa de Rosa strong as well on the Ducati in those final four or five rounds. Len van Stralen was really fast on 44 van Stralen, really inconsistent. So he's going to do well next year. Boulogne did a good job this season, uh, in 2022 as well. And then we've also, got, we've also got some guy called Abe on the grid. yeah. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how how Mekai performs because obviously the expectation is he's Norika's son. People are expecting someone to be really spectacular. I think he's 17 or 18, so he's still quite young. He's going to do the European rounds, and uh, it's a good opportunity for him. He's going to be on the Yamaha for the VFT squad, and he's going to be a rider that we will keep an eye on. It's it's impossible, and it's it's a really big shame for the likes of Ali Bayless is a good example of it. Bayless did a good job last year as a rookie and uh, people were only really paying attention to him at the start of the season just because of his surname. Abe's going to have that same problem, and it's up to both of those guys to show that they're their own men, they're their own riders, and that they're able to get the job done. So I'm, I'm excited for the Super Sport class next year. The 300 class, it's always a bit of a wild card, Gordo. We could basically just throw a dart at the 30 riders that are going to be lined up on the grid next year. But I think probably the biggest story is we've got a new bike on the grid next year. We've got the China racing team out there with the, the Kove bike. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Sheng Zhao does over the course of the season. Um, but really, the 300s, the big story, Jeffrey Bowes, champion a couple of years ago, comes back to the class. A lot of success for him in the past. He's going to be on the MTM Kawasaki, a team he won the world championship with in 2020. He's won a lot of races in the Supersport 300 class. But he's going to be teamed up with Loris Veneman as well. And again, another famous name, son of Barry Veneman. And we've seen it over the last few years that Loris in the Northern Talent Cup has been able to be a podium finisher. So he's got good racecraft on those bikes. Now he needs to show that in the World Championship. We've also got uh, the likes of Enzo Valentim and uh, also Bergamini stepping up from the Yamaha R3 Cup and getting their chances in the super sport 300 class that's again showing that ladder of success and then you move on to the super sport class where we saw alvaro diaz make the step from 300s to super sport bikes as well so that shows you the pathway that you can have in the super sport uh, bikes in uh, the paddock as well but 300s there's 30 riders lined up and uh, it's all about who's able to stay out of trouble but i think it's going to be one of those seasons again in that class where you're looking for the patterns at the end of the last season. Who was just finding that bit more consistency? The likes of Vinucci, he stays on the Yamaha. Mirko Janai, a lot of experience now, stays on the Bior Corse bike as well. So they're two of the riders to keep an eye on, but really in that class, you've got to have eyes in the back of your head, don't you, Gordo?
2: Yeah, everywhere. I mean, you look at people who had great seasons, uh, maybe not great seasons, but fantastic Results at certain points of last year, and you go down that list there. You look at Biedman. He exhibited Samuel Desora made a breakthrough.
1: Yeah. Um Jani, Two KTM's on the grid next year to, as well. Dirk Geiger coming across with Lennox Lehman.
2: And Lennox Lehman was a lone KTM guy last year. And he did some great rides. It's the person that puts more of those good rides together more often and stays out of trouble that's going to be competing for a world championship. This is simple as that. If he had to put money on it, and as long as his confidence wasn't wrecked by the super sporting experience, it wasn't very good, then Geoffrey Bruce is the man. And MTM, remember, are now going to focus on two riders, not four or three, because of the changes in the regulations. They just want everybody to have two riders maximum. But there's any number of people there who have already shown that they're fast enough to win, but you choose a winner out of them other than the guy who's already done it, good luck to you. That's that's the way I look at it is yeah Boost is an easy pick to say, oh well him it depends how much his confidence was knocked by last year. But he was a world champion at what 18, 17, 18? I think he won his yeah. championship was eighteen. And yeah, that that's an experienced team, everything else. There's there's that's a very, very good lineup there. But I could we could be here for twenty minutes going through the possibilities. Um, and it's good to see, again, we've got lots of different nationalities uh, beyond the normal race and nationalities. Mexicans, Chinese, we've already spoken about, Philippines.
1: Philippines, th- this, you Uruguayans, know, Ur- Brazilians. Uruguay,
2: th- this is what we want to see in a world championship. It's a f- maybe we won't get many people from Arctic or, or the Antarctic, but in, in theory, there should be places where everybody from all the continents, there should be representatives from every continent, in there even if they have to ride like, for European teams for obviously logistical reasons but that that makes me as happy as anything else I love to see different nations, different championships funneling their way into world championship racing, whether it's Superbike or MotoGP or Endurance I like to, we want to see variety.
1: Obviously as well Gordon one of the big things to follow for um for us as well as uh, the British riders, because Fenton Seabright stepping up from the Yamaha R3 Cup. We talked about the riders that are going to be in the super sport class as well. Taz, John McPhee, Tom Booth Amos as well. The super bike class, the interesting one, because we've got Bradley Ray coming in as a British Superbike champion. Obviously, Taz won that championship two years ago. It is really important for Britain that riders are coming through because over the course of the last six or seven years, it has been where a lot of riders have gone the Grand Prix route rather than uh, coming into the Superbike classes.
2: Yeah, it's important that there's still a ladder coming from inside the paddock, outside the paddock, not Grand Prix, not a series, not a, a talent cup. That's great if they're feeding the riders in from there, fantastic. But there should be... Um, the opportunity for good riders to come in from British Championship, British Championship is a big important championship, they have to have, it's in Europe, you know, uh, not the EU, but it's in Europe, it's, it's geographically close to Europe, so there has to be a, a, a strong uh, tranche of new, young British riders, partly because there have been so many strong British riders over the last, well, the history of Superbike, but you look at the the, the, the recent World Superbike Party, it's just full of race winning British
1: riders. My goodness, Gordo. I said we're going to keep this podcast nice and short. We're well over the hour because there's just too much to talk about. And this is even before the bikes have started to roll down pit lane for the first test of 2023. I'll be out in Horeth in a few weeks for that. And uh, I'm going to try and grab a few people over the course of that uh, couple of days to be able to get up to speed with what they're saying. But already... We're on countdown mode to race one at round one in Phillip Island. I can't wait to record it. We're literally only, it's the 3rd of January that we're recording this. And uh, I think the two of us are probably as keen as anyone to get back to work.
2: Oh, when you look at the entry list um, and the fact that we're kind of hopefully going to start our normal season, you know, as always, and get rid of the, get out of Europe for a winter and get to Australia in the sunshine in February. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm, looking forward to it already. I'm just slightly uh, trepidatious because there's so much to do before we go there. That's
1: the only problem. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, right, there's okay. Always, there's always more to be done, Gordo. Don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, but uh, to- luckily for us, we're going to try and bring a little bit more content to our Patreon supporters as well during the course this year. We did it at the end of last year with a few extra shows just to preview around but uh, we're going to try and do that a little bit more through the course of the 2023 season as well so check out patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast if you sign up for different tiers you can get uh, all of our paddock note shows during the course of a grand prix season and that'll also get you a free paddock pass podcast coffee mug after a couple of months as well and then we've also got another tier which has mugs t-shirts hoodies, and uh also a zoom call with none other than david emmett and uh well you'll also get the rest of us as well for that zoom call but uh certainly there's a lot that we're going to be doing over the course of this season on the paddock pass podcast gordo you're going to be flat out all the way through the season where can everyone read your work gordo
2: well, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, still working for a lot of the people I, I worked for before. Um, I'll be working for sport News in the UK, uh, Australian Motorcycle News, Cycle News. Um, I write most of the uh, race programmes. If you go to the rounds, you'll, you'll read my work in the race programmes. Um, various feature stories for other people through the year. Um yeah, I know, and I'll hopefully be doing a few more columns for uh, Motor Matters, David Emmett, Skies, um, and a podcast. That, and you never know. And the other thing is, you never really know until the season gets to it, because sometimes you get people coming up to you the first round or a week before the first round saying, Oh, could you do this for me? Could you do that for me? Hopefully, there'll be a bit of that as well. But yeah, that's my uh, regular stuff. That's where you can regularly read me.
1: Perfect Gordo and obviously if you want to find out the thoughts of a disgruntled Scotsman about the political state of the UK you can also check out Gordo on Twitter. But uh, Gordo thanks for joining us on the pod once again this week and uh, obviously it's, it's always good to look back at the previous season. But World SBK is all about the future as well now. And it's certainly a case of we're not looking at the past and the previous golden era anymore. We're right in the midst of something very exciting in our paddock. And I think this season's going to be really good. That's why we were quite keen to be able to talk about last year but mostly look forward to the 2023 campaign. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks for another Superbike Podcast as it is. We'll be back to normal schedule as well with MotoGP Podcasts with myself, David, Adam, and Neil
0: in the next couple of weeks. This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Paddock Pass Podcast brought to you by I have to remember who it's who we're sponsored by.
2: Same as last year.
1: Same as last year.